And so, yeah, again, I want to just reiterate how excited I am about this Rebuild, Restore, Renew campaign. I'm thrilled about it as we've been putting this together. Um, I was uh, anxiously awaiting the day when we could announce this uh, to our entire church. Uh, And yeah, like the video said, all we need is a million dollars. But the good thing is, this week I checked just out of curiosity to see what the Texas Mega Millions lottery is. It's currently sitting at 68 million, so uh, no problem at all. We can do all of what we're planning and more if someone were to just win the lottery. But let me ask you a question. If you won the lottery, who would you tell? You might be thinking, well, I'm not going to tell Jace because he's just going to ask for it. (laughs) So maybe a different question is, if you got engaged, who would you tell? If you, your child or grandchild, perhaps, got accepted into the college of their dreams, who would you tell? If at your job you just received a promotion, who would you tell? If you've just experienced a miracle of some sort, maybe the Lord cured you of cancer, perhaps, who would you tell? See, most of us love to share amazing news with people. It's only natural for us. And so let me ask you this morning, are you so amazed with what the Lord has done for you through Jesus that you must tell somebody? You can't keep it quiet. It's that question that I want us to consider as we continue our series here in the Gospel of Mark. And here in the second half of Mark chapter 1, we're going to see that Jesus' words and works, his doctrine and his deeds, his miracle and his messaging is going to bring about utter amazement among the people. Here in Mark chapter 1, the second half, Jesus' popularity is now soaring And because of all that he's doing, the crowds just can't keep quiet. Again, open your Bible up to Mark chapter 1, and there in your bulletin you should have received an outline. We're going to take a look, really, in the text. We're taking a look here in Mark chapter 1 at two days is all. What we're going to read together this morning is all that is jam-packed into two action-packed days. The first is an amazing day in Capernaum. Verses 21 through 34. Then we're going to see an amazing day around Galilee, day number two. And then finally, we'll talk application and consider what an amazing day in Dallas might be. So again, grab your Bible. Let me read for you, looking at the first point on your outline, an amazing day in Capernaum, Mark chapter 1, notice first verses 21 and 22. The text says, they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now, there's a couple things here in these two verses that I want you to notice, and keep in mind, this is picking back from what we saw last week. In Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. And so verse 21 begins by saying they. 
They refers to Jesus and these disciples whom he has now called and invited to follow him. So they, Jesus and his disciples, notice they go into Capernaum and notice immediately. I told you that that word immediately is a favorite word of John Mark, the writer of this gospel. So they, Jesus and his disciples, they go into Capernaum and immediately he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and began to teach. And Mark tells us that those there in the synagogue noticed they were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The crowds were amazed at his teaching. The word for amazed here means to be astounded, to be struck, to be overwhelmed in a positive way. And notice why. The crowds there in that Capernaum synagogue are so amazed. They're amazed because he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now, by the way, this is going to set us up for what we're going to see next week as we enter into chapter 2. This uh, popularity of Jesus that's going to be soaring here in chapter 1 is going to come to a rising conflict with the religious leaders. And we see the introduction of that here. There in the synagogue, the people are amazed with Jesus, and that's going to set up then the conflict which we'll see next week. But I want you to envision this in your mind. I want you to pretend as though you were there in this synagogue in Capernaum. Up stands Jesus. He begins teaching, and they are amazed. You are amazed at his teaching. But then notice what happens next, verse 23. Just then, or actually immediately, There was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Again, picture this. You are there in the synagogue in Capernaum. You are locked into every word that Jesus is saying, and suddenly there, in the middle of Jesus' teaching, immediately a man stands up and cries out with a loud voice, saying, what business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? I imagine you could have heard a pin drop, right? You could cut the awkwardness with a knife. And by the way, the The words that this demon speaks here, what business do we have with each other, this expresses a Hebrew idiom which uh, translated into Greek expresses the incompatibility going on. Two opposing forces. You have this demon-possessed man on the one hand, but now he's confronted with the Holy One of God. So notice what Jesus says in verse 25. Imagine again the scene in your mind there in the synagogue in Capernaum and Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and coming out and come out of him, throwing him into convulsions. The unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. The words here translated be quiet, you could translate as be muzzled. 
be silenced. And after throwing the man into convulsions, this unclean spirit comes out of him. This is amazing, isn't it? Like if you could picture this in your mind, being there, you would have been amazed at what just took place. And in fact, that's exactly what we see in verse 27, the response of the people. Notice, they were all amazed so that they debated among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Immediately, the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. So after seeing this, after being there and worshiping in the synagogue and seeing and hearing Jesus' teaching and seeing him cast out this demon, the response of the people in one word is they are amazed. They're astonished. They ask the question that really guides this section. They say, what is this? You could paraphrase it and say, we've never seen anything like this before. This man's teaching is amazing and he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And then as you can imagine, verse 28, immediately, there's that word again, the news about Jesus spreads everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. I mean, we could stop right here. This is an incredible day, right? Can you imagine having been there and seeing this and hearing this? But Jesus' day has only begun, notice verse 29, and immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they went to get lunch. No, it's not right. Uh, Immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. He came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and then she waited on them. Again, picture the scene in your mind. They leave the synagogue and immediately come into the home of Simon and Andrew. Immediately, they tell Jesus that she's sick, she's lying in bed with a fever. And amazingly, Jesus comes to her, raises her up, takes her by the hand, and the fever leaves her. Again, it's it's, it's astounding what Jesus is doing. But once again, the day is not over. Notice verse 32, when evening came. After the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And notice verse 33, the whole city had gathered at the door, and he healed many who were ill with various diseases, cast out many demons, and he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. I want you to notice the, the building of excitement in these verses. All of the things in one day that Jesus does. By the way, um, there in verse 34, it says he cast out many demons. In the first service, I had a Freudian slip, and I said he cast out many deacons. Um, (laughs) No offense to our deacons. He cast out demons. Um, But notice again, the whole town gathered at the door. It's astonishing what took place just in one day. 
This is an amazing day in Capernaum. Jesus teaches with authority. He casts out a demon there in the synagogue. He heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law. Then in the evening, he heals all sorts of people who are ill. He casts out many demons. And all along the way, Jesus' fame increases. Throughout this section, again, we see Jesus' words and works, his doctrine and his deeds, his message and his miracles. This is leading to an increase in Jesus' popularity among the people. They're amazed at everything they see. And this fame now spreads. As we take a look at number two on your outline, we see an amazing day around Galilee. Mark chapter 1 Notice first verse 35. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Now this is a sermon in and of itself, right? Right here sandwiched between two very, very busy days. A busy day in Capernaum and then a busy day all around the Sea of Galilee. Jesus here, verse 35, early in the morning, perhaps around 4 a.m., while it's still dark, he gets up, he leaves the house, he goes away to a secluded place and was praying there. By the way, Mark does this a few times in his gospel. He highlights how even in the middle of absolute chaos and popularity and all the crazy stuff happening, Jesus regularly goes to the quiet place, to the secluded place, in order to pray. There's a lot there for us. Prioritizing, communing with the Father, even in the midst of the busyness of life. But I want you to notice that there, while Jesus is in a secluded place and praying, verse 36 tells us Simon and his companions searched for him and they found him and said to him, look, everyone is looking for you. Notice again, we're immediately back now into the chaos of the scene. Jesus is praying, Simon and his companions come searching for Jesus and their words to him are, everyone is looking for you. We're meant to take note of the fact that the excitement is continuing to build. It's spilled over into the next day. Everyone is looking for Jesus. But notice Jesus' reply, verse 38. He said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I might preach there also. For that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. We see again, Jesus' fame is spreading. His ministry is expanding. He came not only for the people there in Capernaum, but now he's traveling all throughout Galilee. His geographical reach is getting bigger and bigger, and with that, his popularity is as well. And so on this day, day two, Jesus is traveling around the Sea of Galilee, going to various synagogues, preaching, casting out demons, and there in the midst of all of that, notice verse 40. A leper came to Jesus, beseeching him, and falling on his knees before him and saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. 
If you're willing, you can make me clean. Here in the busyness of these verses, time, if you will, now begins to slow down and we zero in on one specific interaction Jesus has here with this leper. Leprosy, by the way, was one of the worst conditions you could even imagine in the first century world. It brought upon a person not only physical, but also mental, social, and religious consequences. You're outcast. You're unclean, untouchable. But I want you to notice this leper approaches Jesus. He beseeches him. He falls on his knees before Jesus, and I love his words. He says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Notice that this leper does not question Jesus' ability. He knows Jesus is able. Perhaps he's heard about all that Jesus has done. He knows that Jesus is able, but his request is, if you are willing, There's no presumption in this man, no entitlement in his words, but only, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And notice in verse 41, the text says, moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing be cleansed. If you were making a movie of this scene, again, time would seemingly slow down. The camera lens would focus in on the hand of Jesus. Notice the redundancy. He stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus is moved with compassion. He has deep pity on this man. And notice, once again, we see that word immediately, verse 42. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. But then I want you to notice, surprisingly, what happens next, verse 43. And he, Jesus, sternly warned him. And immediately sent him away. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Jesus immediately sends the leper away who is now healed. And he says, listen, I want you to go and show yourself to the priest. I want you to make the offering that Moses commanded. And notice he says, I want you to do this as a testimony to them. The word for testimony means proof or evidence. Jesus is sending this man away, telling him not to tell anybody, but to immediately go to the priest to offer the sacrifice as a testimony to them, to the priest of what Jesus has done. This again is going to set us up for the conflict that's to follow between Jesus and the religious leaders. Because they've now seen the evidence of what Jesus can do. 
But spoiler alert, they're going to come to a drastically wrong conclusion when they attribute his ability to Satan himself. But definitely in this story, we see a contrast between Jesus, who can make someone clean, and the religious leaders who can only declare someone clean. Now look at verse 45. Jesus sends this man away. He tells him to go to the priest to make the offering Moses commanded. But, verse 45, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city but stayed out in the unpopulated areas and they were coming to him from everywhere. So Jesus tells the man, listen, I want you to go and I don't want you to tell anybody, but this man goes and he tells everybody. And because of this, Jesus' fame continues to spread. Again, we've seen this throughout the second half of chapter 1. Jesus, as he does these miracles, as he teaches, as he preaches his, uh, his doctrine, his deeds, his messages, his miracles, it all leads to this increase in popularity among the people to such an extent now that he can't even go into a city but he has to stay out in unpopulated areas, but people come to him anyway. This is an amazing scene, right? We've seen an amazing day in Capernaum. We've seen now an amazing day in Galilee. Jesus begins this day in prayer, but then he begins traveling all around Galilee. He preaches more, he casts out more demon, and then he heals this leper. The message over and over again we're seeing in these verses is that Jesus' words and works, his doctrine, his deeds, his miracles, and his message, it brings about amazement among the people. They are amazed at what they've seen. They ask, what is this? They've never seen anything like this. But the question I want us to ask now is what's the point? Why does Mark tell us all of this? We see an amazing day in Capernaum. We see an amazing day around Galilee, which I think leads us to number three on your outline to consider an amazing day in Dallas. One of the things I'm going to do throughout our study of the Gospel of Mark, as we move through different passages, I'm going to ask three questions. Number one, what did Jesus say or do? Number two, how did the people respond to what Jesus said or did? Which then brings us to number three, in light of all of that, how should I respond? What did Jesus say or do? How did the people respond to what Jesus said or did? And then what should I, therefore, do as a response? So what did Jesus do here on these two days in Galilee? He did a ton. He preached. John Mark doesn't record exactly what Jesus said, but throughout these verses we see that Jesus was going from synagogue to synagogue. He was teaching in their synagogues. Along the way, he was healing people of various sicknesses and illnesses. He cast out many demons. These are two very busy days. Amazing days for Jesus. 
That's the first question. The second question is, well, how did the people in the text, how did they respond to what Jesus said and did? And in one word, they were amazed. They were amazed. Here in Mark chapter 1, John Mark uses six terms to describe the amazement of the people. They are amazed. They're astonished. They've never seen anything like this before. They don't know what to think about all of this stuff. They can't stop talking about this guy in Galilee who's going around synagogue to synagogue, teaching people, healing people, casting out demons. This is two amazing days in and around Galilee. And because of that, Jesus' fame continues to spread. The people are talking. Notice, again, the number of times here in these verses that John Mark tells us here that Jesus' fame is increasing. Verse 28, news about him spread everywhere. Verse 34, the whole town gathered around. Verse 37, everyone, Jesus is looking for you. And verse 45, he couldn't even go into public anymore because of all of the people. It's amazing to see the increase in the popularity Jesus has now with these people. All in two short days. But the fascinating thing we see also in these verses is that along the way, Jesus tells people, be quiet about it. (laughs) Right? He tells the demons, be quiet, and they obey. They're muzzled, they're silenced. But then he tells the leper, don't say anything to anybody. But then he goes out, he can't contain himself, he goes out and he spreads news about Jesus everywhere. Now one of the big questions commentators and theologians wrestle with over and over again is why does Jesus do this? Why does Jesus do these miracles? He's, he's God, so he knows certainly that people want to talk about it. Um, so he, he does all these miracles, he, he does all this teaching, and then he tells people, listen, don't say anything to anybody. This is called Mark in silence. This is a real unique feature of the gospel of Mark where Jesus sends people out and he says, I don't want you to tell anybody anything. And commentators speculate over and over again about why Jesus does this. The bottom line is, I don't know. Um, I think the best possible answer is that Jesus is not trying trying to distract the people from why he really came. Uh, He didn't come primarily as a miracle worker. He did it. But his miracles all were ultimately pointing to his message. The message which began at the beginning of chapter 1. The message about the kingdom of God. The king has arrived. But again, it's a really unique feature in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus sends people away and he says, don't don't say anything to anybody. Jesus sends the leper away and he says, I don't want you to say anything to anybody. But look again at verse 45. Verse 45 is key. After Jesus sends this man out, Jesus tells him, don't say anything to anybody. But verse 45 says, but he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city but stayed out in unpopulated areas. So, first of all, let's say this. Verse 45 really serves two purposes, I think, here. Verse 45 is a pivotal verse. The first thing verse 45 does is it's going to set us up for what's going to take place in chapter 2. 
Chapter one is all about Jesus' increase in popularity among the people, but chapter two and into chapter three is gonna set us up for Jesus' increase in conflict with the religious leaders. So as his popularity rises, so does the threat that he's bringing upon the religious leaders. And this is gonna come to a head in chapter two. But the second thing I think verse 45 does for us is to remind us once again of the excitement, the amazement about all that's been taking place. Now let me be clear for a second. This man disobeys Jesus' command to be silent. That much is clear. Jesus told him to be quiet, but he left and he couldn't stop talking. But I do think that we, the reader, should sympathize with his excitement. Right? Again, if you won the lottery, who would you tell? If you got engaged, who would you tell? If you were healed from leprosy, could you keep quiet about it? Again, make no mistake, the guy disobeys Jesus, but I think we're meant to sympathize with his excitement. Notice in verse 45, John Mark tells us, he went out and began to proclaim and to spread. These two words are used elsewhere in the New Testament to describe proclaiming the good news. These two words, proclaim and spread the word, are used in the rest of the New Testament really to describe the role of a preacher and a missionary, a prophet, people who go out and tell the good news. The missionary, or the leper here, in other words, becomes a missionary. Scholar Mark Strauss says this, He says, the man's excitement gets the best of him, but the reader would not condemn him for this because the miracle is so stupendous that no human being could keep it quiet. Rhetorically, John Mark uses this broken command to highlight the greatness of the miracle and the power of the miracle worker. The result for Jesus is such popularity that he cannot move about freely. The result is negative, but the rhetorical point is positive. Does that make sense? The man was excited. His excitement couldn't be contained. He'd just been healed of leprosy. And so he went out and began to proclaim the good things the Lord has done, which I think is the point for us as well. What did Jesus do? He preached in the synagogues. He healed people of their diseases. He cast out demons. How did the people respond? They were amazed, and they couldn't stop talking about what Jesus had done, and that's what we're to do as well. As we reflect on what God has done in our life, we cannot keep silent. By the way, the command that Jesus gives to this man to keep silent, this is obviously overturned when we come to the Great Commission, right? It is our job not to keep silent, but to proclaim the good news of who the Lord is and all that he has done. I mentioned already, but I'm going to mention it again. I mentioned last week Ramesh Richards' Reach One initiative, where he's praying that every Christian over the next year would reach one person with the gospel. 
that every Christian would reach one non-Christian with the good news of who Jesus is. And I think that's the point for us here this morning. The great preacher J. Vernon McGee put it this way. He said, the Lord told the leper not to tell anybody, and he told everybody. He tells us to tell everybody, and we tell nobody. I want to say, friend, the disobedience of this cleansed leper is not as bad as our disobedience today. We're to tell everybody, but we tell nobody. And with that convicting note, I want to invite you to turn to the back of your outline and look at your one thing for this week. My invitation to you would be to ask yourself, what miracle of Jesus here in these verses do you find most amazing and why? But then I want you to ask yourself, what are some amazing things that God has done in your life recently? And then I want to invite you to praise him for his amazing work in your life And then to tell somebody, don't keep it silent. Listen, I hope that you're excited about everything that's happening here at Grace Bible Church. I hope you're excited about this capital improvement campaign. I know I couldn't wait to tell you all about it because that's what you do when amazing things are happening. But more important than all of that, I hope you're excited about what the Lord is doing in your life. I hope you're motivated to tell somebody about it because when we're amazed, it's only natural to tell somebody. Would you pray with me? Father, as we do, stop and consider just how great you are. As we stop and consider all that you have done, all that you're continuing to do in our life and in the life of this church, Father, I pray that by your spirit, you would fill us with amazement. Uh, Father, your goodness to us is beyond comprehension. Your grace and mercy to us is immeasurable. And so what can we do? What else can we do but to tell people about it? And Father, now as we come around this table, this communion table, I pray that as Paul instructs us, that we would use this time together, we would use these elements to proclaim the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection until he returns. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son to redeem us. Thank you for your ongoing work in our life, in this church We thank you, Father, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.